There we go. Good morning, everyone. Kids, doing a little survey. So I got a question for you. What are some things in your house that, in order to work, have to stay plugged in? Yes. Lamps. Okay. Yes. Television. Yep. What in the back? The vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Pencil sharpeners. Okay. Yeah. Your yourself. You have to sleep. That's actually really profound, and it's kind of the direction we're going in here. So thank you for saying that. I could probably just sit down now. You all have to be plugged in. That's, that's the point of the whole sermon. Good job. Um, no, that's great. That's great. And it's funny because you know, as time goes on, I feel like less and less things have to get plugged in in our, in our houses. But cars are going to have to get plugged in soon, it seems like. So we're switching some things up here. Um, but kids, today we're going to be talking about being plugged into Jesus. We're going to talk about staying connected to God and how important that is connection and that relationship is for our lives. So there's some questions about our dependence on God in the uh, activity sheets for y'all and would love for y'all to fill those questions out and, um, and, and really talk with your parents about the answers to those questions because they're really important. Um, all right, well, church, this morning, uh, during this Easter season, we've been listening to what Jesus has to say about himself through the I am statements in John. And today we come to the last of the I am statements on Ascension Sunday, as Ford has already mentioned. And it's really fitting because as we reflect on our prayer, in our prayers and in our songs on Jesus enthroned on high, we recognize that this particular person who said these particular things is the one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, the bread of life, the good shepherd the light of life. All of these I am statements that we have studied are true of the one who now rules over the heavens and the earth. And I feel like I've noticed something about these statements uh, over the past few weeks as I've been listening to the sermons. They aren't like ordinary self-disclosures. If I tell you who I am, if I say that I'm a counselor or a husband or a Baltimore Orioles fan, that doesn't really have a lot of impact on your life. You might be jealous of how my baseball team has been doing recently, but besides that, not a lot of impact on your life. But that isn't true for Jesus and his I am statements. When Jesus says I am, there's a lot of impact. And that's because our deepest longings find their completion, their fulfillment in who Jesus is. Who Jesus is fulfills the desires of our heart. Think about where we've been so far. To our spiritual hunger, he says, I'm the bread of life. To our blindness and ignorance, he says, I'm the light of life. To our vulnerability and waywardness, he says, I'm the door and the good shepherd. To the sting of death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And to our need for purpose and access to the Father, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today, our I am statement acts as a kind of final word. Because in the context, Jesus is just a few short hours away from his trial and crucifixion. He's in his final moments with his disciples before everything radically changes. 
They've heard him say these heart-fulfilling things, that he's the source of life and a balm to their wounded souls. And so now Jesus gives them one more I am statement. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And there's so much in this passage that was read this morning, but I just want to focus on that image today. And I have three reflections on what that image means, and then I have three practical steps on how to help us be a healthy, connected branch to Jesus' vine. But first, what does it mean to be a branch? It means intimacy, humility, and empowerment. Let's start with intimacy. Look at some of the words Jesus uses in this passage. He speaks of the love of the Father. He speaks of his love for us. He speaks of his joy being in us. He calls us his friends. He tells us we are chosen. The language of love and connection is all over this passage. And Jesus makes clear that this isn't human love. This is the love of the Father. By simply being a branch, we are entering into the love that is eternally present in the Trinity. We become recipients of the love that the Father has for the Son, and we are called friends of Jesus. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And again in verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Can we fathom the privilege that Jesus has given us by inviting us to be branches? Our ascended Lord, who, as Paul says, is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, comes to you as his friend, shares with you the will of the Father, and showers you with his love. This is what is sometimes referred to as our participation in Christ. We are called in today's passage in Ephesians, the body of Christ. Is there anything more connected, more intimate than our own bodies? Christ is the head as our ascended Lord, but we are his body on earth, intimately connected and participating in the life of the Trinity. Jesus gave these instructions to his disciples, knowing he would be crucified and ultimately leave them after his resurrection. He knew that the true abiding in him would take place when they could no longer see him or touch him. He didn't want them to forget the intimacy they were experiencing now. In fact, he wanted them to be sure that that intimacy would continue. Jesus is our vine. He is our source of vitality and life, providing for us the resources of heaven, the life and love of his Father. And we, as the branches, get to participate in that. It is gloriously good news to be a branch. But being a branch is also deeply humbling. Like many of the other images present in these I am statements, like sheep, blindness, hunger, dead, branches aren't exactly the most flattering thing to be called. A branch isn't the star of the show, 
A branch isn't the source of the fruit that it carries. There's only one action a branch does. And Jesus highlights that here. Remain. Abide. Dwell. This is not an action verb. There's no glory in a branch just staying put. Our restless hearts, our glory-hungry souls, are told to just not wander off. It's humbling because we don't get to be the center of God's saving action on earth. That's Jesus. It's also humbling because even though it sounds easy, we are all prone to wander off. Our work as Christians is no greater or no less than just being with Jesus. And out of that, Jesus says, fruit will come. How does that sit with you? Are you comfortable summarizing the entirety of the Christian life as simply abiding in Christ? It seems like that's what Jesus is doing here. The goodness of any branch is dependent on one thing. Does it stay connected to the vine? Think about all of the things the apostles were about to do over the next few years. Think about the conversions, the healings, the sermons, the people fed, the poor taken care of. Think about all of the fruit of the apostles' work, including our church here today, existing some 2,000 years later. That is a lot of fruit. But all of it is only a byproduct of their dependence on Christ. You can almost imagine another disciple going up to Peter after a great sermon and saying, Hey, remember, you're just a branch. The most successful evangelists or preachers, the holiest saints or contemplatives, the greatest philanthropists or abolitionists, the best of the Christian church throughout history, when face to face with Jesus, are all told the same thing You are a branch. Remain. Abide. And I think this is really important for us to wrap our heads around because this passage is clear. Fruit is important to God. It's a sign of being connected to the vine. And without fruit, the vine dresser takes us away from the source of life. We're disconnected, we wither, we fade, and we ultimately die. There's some debate here about what fruit represents, but I think the most general answer makes the most sense. Fruit is simply living a Christ-like life. And as scripture indicates, a Christ-like life is truly an abundant life. To not live a truly abundant life is to move towards death, represented here by the vine dresser removing a branch and casting it away to be burned. This fruit can then look like a growing personal holiness or evangelism. Acts of service, charity, worship. It is the result of Christ the vine shaping us more into his image as we abide in him. If you want to be truly Christ-like, if you want to be fruitful, the only way we get there is through the vine. There's a temptation here that I believe Jesus is warning against. I once heard a Christian professor talk about resisting the temptation of moral formation. And what he meant by that is seeking to do Christ-like things in the power of the flesh. Seeking to do them by other means than God's power, away from our relationship with God. 
The fruit of the Spirit are beautiful character traits. And it might make sense that we might try and force them into our lives. But they're byproducts of abiding, not achievements that we unlock. The work of the Christian is to abide. And so it becomes a matter of priority. Is our goal intimacy with Jesus, which yields fruit? Or is our goal having lots of fruit, which might give us praise or might give us a sense of accomplishment, but also might ultimately leave us separated from God? Remember Jesus' words, why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I say? Remember Jesus' words when he said, depart from me, I did not know you. So we do not bear fruit to prove to Jesus that we're enough. We accept our role as a branch. And through our intimacy with him, we bear fruit. And so we end up humbled in our need for Jesus. Because in the end, it becomes clear that in order to be fruitful, our first priority must be our relationship with Jesus. I remember hearing Tish Harrison Warren tell a story once. Um, it might have been also in one of her books about speaking to her spiritual director. And she was in a season of life when she was doing lots of ministry. And she was detailing to her director all of the work that she was doing at that time. All of the ministry. And her director said something to the effect of, your spiritual disciplines, as they are, are not strong enough to maintain this amount of ministry. What did he mean by that? If you're going to be fruitful, you need to stay firmly attached to the vine. And so to be a branch is to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus, one that leaves us humble and acknowledging his role as central to our lives. But out of this intimate, humble, vine-branch connection, we are also empowered. Look at verse 17 with me. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So that you will love one another. The ultimate result of our connection to Jesus is our ability to truly love one another. Part of this contains an important caveat to the language of abiding. Abiding in the vine does, not, does include a certain kind of obedience. Jesus makes this explicit in verses 10 and 12. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. He follows that up in verse 12 by giving a commandment. My commandment is this, to love one another as I have loved you. So notice the flow of Jesus' argument here. Our first priority is abiding in him. Part of abiding in him is to follow his commandments. And the one highlighted here being to love one another as he loved us. So what comes first? First is Jesus's love for us. Our obedience flows from Jesus's love. If we do not first believe in our bones that Jesus loves us, we will never be able to obey him. Our first attempts will always come from places other than simply abiding in him. Our motivation for our obedience should be closer intimacy and a deeper love of Jesus. The more that happens, the more we are empowered to love others sacrificially. Which is exactly what Jesus did. This small statement, as I have loved you, carries the entire weight of the gospel. Jesus loved us by giving his life for us. He loved us by taking on human flesh and taking on human sin and defeating it that day on the cross, just a few short hours after he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in my love and love as I have loved. 
So the example of Jesus' love is great. The empowerment to do it, given to each of us as branches, is even greater. And so even as we acknowledge the humility of being a branch, we should at the same time not be afraid of all that Jesus can do in and through us. It's easy, I think, for us to look around at others and say, if I had their patience, if I had their intelligence, if I had their charisma and their holiness, you fill in the blank, then I would be an effective Christian. And there's a simple response to that here in this passage. We are all connected to the same vine. The person you admire is just a branch living in the power of God, and you can do the same. We all worship the same risen and ascended Lord, a Lord who has mysteriously and powerfully chosen you to be a branch that is connected to him, as it says in verse 16. Our excuses, like Moses before the burning bush, run dry when we realize who it is that empowers us. If fear is what's holding you back, Jesus' answer is the same. Abide in me. So where does this leave us? The central goal of the Christian life is intimacy with Jesus. We do this by humbly remaining in him and abiding in him, accepting his love for us and allowing that to empower us to yield Christ-like fruit. But what does that look like today? What does abiding in Christ look like in your day-to-day life? Facing your job, your family, your world. I've got a couple of suggestions. First, we need an embodied awareness of Christ's presence with us at all times. What do I mean by that? I mean a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute acknowledgement that when Jesus said he would never leave us nor forsake us, he was telling the truth. We believe that Jesus meets us here on Sunday mornings through the word and table, but do we also believe he's with us in our jobs, in our homes, on our commutes? How would your life change if you were constantly aware of the presence of Jesus. Even as I say that now, what's coming up for you internally? Is it shame? Fear? Joy? Whatever it is tells you whether you truly believe Jesus loves you or not, whether you truly find his work on the cross for you sufficient, whether you feel able to be in his presence at all times. So if there's a hesitancy there or a shame there or a fear, I would encourage you to use this upcoming time of confession and prayer as a chance to bring that before the throne of grace. He's reaching out to you and longs for his life, his love and joy to be yours too. Second, I want us to rethink our time in scripture and prayer. These are not boxes to check off so we can say we're good Christians. This is, there isn't pride in having a long line of unbroken quiet times. Instead, our time of scripture and prayer should be framed as time with Jesus. Moments set aside in our day where we acknowledge our weakness and dependence on him, where we allow Jesus to shape and empower us to live the life he has called us to live. It is an opportunity to check our connection to God and to make sure it is strong. It is a rule of life that concedes to the action of God in the world. This is a challenge to you. I would love to talk to you more about some ways we could make this easier. One thing we do at Redeemer is offer a Zoom uh, daily office every Wednesday morning. This is a chance to make the morning hour to mark the morning hours with reverence for Christ's presence. To, as one writer would say, join in the objective praise of creation for its creator. 
even if just for a moment. You don't need to have any experience or know any complicated prayers to join us on Wednesday morning. You can just log in and listen if you want. You can even do it with your camera off if you don't want anyone to see you at 7 a.m. That's fine. Finally, on a similar note, abiding in Christ means being in community. Community with other branches like you. I've been talking about individual branches a lot this whole time, but I think there is a we inherent here. Our fruit is more often than not shared fruit that comes from our collective abiding effort and iron sharpening iron. And really, it is very difficult to love one another when we are isolated from one another. I believe this might become one of the defining marks of Christianity in the coming years as our isolation and polarization only grow in this country. Christians can still get together with people very different from them, some of whom they might not even like very much, to worship, to pray, to share meals, and to point one another back to the vine. You can't abide in Christ without being part of his body. So on this Ascension Sunday, as we celebrate where Christ is now, remember, you are just a branch. You are a branch that reaches into the love of the Trinity and is empowered to live a Christ-like life now. If only you would abide. Amen.